There we go. It's happening. It's happening now. Okay, good. Hi, Jeff. Good afternoon. How's it going? Good. How are you, Alex? I am not too bad. Uh, welcome, everybody, to our sixth installment of School of Thought, the podcast where we go deep on uh, personalized inquiry education. Um, and this is in connection with uh, Jeff Hopkins's school that you run in downtown Victoria, the Pacific School of Innovation and Inquiry. And with these podcasts, what we're doing is really just, um, we're sitting down and I'm asking questions about uh, some of the convictions that you've created uh, around the model of learning that you have implemented at your school. And uh, yeah, just, just taking a learning stance, asking questions, asking you to clarify fuzzy things or use examples from your learners so that you can bring it to life for the educators that are watching. So this is Jeff Hopkins, uh, principal educator at the Pacific School of Innovation and Inquiry. I know I've been introducing you as just the principal, but you're actually principal educator. That's right. That's what that word used to mean, actually, but um, and it got shortened. But um, yeah, I just like to emphasize the educator part because that's I teach most of the time, and yeah. Yeah, and that actually, that is one uh, mark of differentiation between your school, which the acronym is PSII, so we refer to it as SI for short. But that is a different thing at SI, is that you are very much on the ground working with learners, doing the same thing that your teachers do. Yep, that's true. That's really it's true. Same, same thing, yeah. So we've got a conviction to talk about today. I'll just introduce myself before we get going uh, and uh, tell people where they can go and learn more information. My name is Alex Van Tal. I am uh, a parent of a student who attends SAI. My son is in grade 11 there. Um, but I've been a, um, a fan and a watcher of your methodology, Jeff, for a number of years because as, a, as an educator myself, uh, your school addresses what I think are a lot of the gaps that the traditional system um, imposes. So I, I'm a definite supporter, definite uh, aficionado. Um, and yeah, your school's got a website, learningstorm.org. And on that website, you've got a lot of uh, the materials that we talk about. And uh, in our next session, we'll be uh, talking about the competency framework. So people can go to your website, find all that good stuff there. And uh, yeah, I think we're ready to roll. Sounds good. I'm ready too. I know. You're always ready, Jeff Hopkins. I don't know how you do it. <laughs> <laughs> just just so the people know just so the people know your internet went down like half an hour ago we were supposed yep. to start at four and jeff texts and he's like yeah no internet i don't know what's going on and it's not just your school it's the building you're in yeah and tell Great tell time. me what you did what did you do for your workaround where are you well i'm i'm in the school but i'm as far over to one edge near a local business that has lovely internet um access right right now before their dinner rush so i think we won't be affecting them in any way um but um i'm very glad they're here we've we've exchanged this before where theirs went down and we gave them our our side guest uh access so that they could uh continue to have internet access in their restaurant um so yeah it's it's working out okay you can scratch <laughs> each other's backs when you need to yeah that's true <laughs> all right today we're going to talk about um uh, this is the fifth conviction. You, you have broken your model into 20 very clear convictions and um, 
with each of these episodes, we talk about you know, what are these convictions. So today we're talking about the fifth one. Uh, and again, they don't come in any order of importance. These are just the things that you know, you've recognized are, are what makes the model work. Um, so here we have the best learning requires learner agency. So let's start with the word agency. Jeff, what are you meaning by that? Well, um, I like that word a lot, um, but it's uh, the, uh, what I mean by it is just that people are, there's, there's actually a word I used to use more, but it's really long and agency is one that is more kind of in the popular nomenclature these days. But um, we used to use the word subsidiarity, which um, is a word that uh, I learned uh, from somebody a while ago that means the idea that you'd never withhold power from somebody who's able to to kind of wield it. So in other words, a, a person who's in a hierarchical organization, if they're closer to the top of it, they should push the power down as far down the hierarchy as possible, letting the people uh, have that control and that power if they're able to do it. And so I kind of think of that one, although we have a very flat hierarchy here at the school, there almost isn't one, but education has a definite hierarchy in it to, uh, to traditionally we just like people to be in control of as much of their life as possible all the time. Um, and there's lots of reasons for that. Um, one is just philosophical, but some of it is about the way people learn when they have control over their own, uh, you know, as much as possible of anything that's happening to them that day or year. So tell me, okay, yeah, and I, I was going to say, I wrote down here on my notes, I wrote flat org structure, and you've already yeah. addressed that, you know, and we see a lot of that now in the corporate space, uh, less so in the government space, but we see uh, organizations really looking at how do we um, shift power? How do we allow people to have more agency so that they can make more decisions that are in their lane um, so that things don't get bottlenecked? Um, so there's part of that is at play with Psy, but also it's the idea that um, giving children, your high school learners, giving them agency, uh, yeah, it really does put them in the seat, in the driver's seat of their own learning. But how does that, how does that help their learning? Well, what we found is that, and it's actually interesting, this is a great time to be doing this interview. Um, this is just, just in, some, in case someone's watching this at an unusual time, this is early October. Um, and it takes a little while in every school year for people to kind of understand how we work and the, that we do have a flat hierarchy and that learners do have voice. And so what's happening now is because they have uh, the ability to say, I would really like to have a group session or a class on topic X, that would be very valuable to me. They have the voice and the agency to be able to say that, to ask for what they need anytime. That's actually how we build the school. So we have placeholders and one of our placeholders in our schedule is called how did we get here and we and it's basically it could be anything that has a kind of a component of like we we are in a place in a context in a situation and there's something that led to that either a theory that someone has created based on observation or a, a system that we're in that came from somewhere and so um that's an example of one where some today someone just said could you could you could we do a session uh, to talk about where the idea of police came from? Mm -hmm. And they were researching kind of some of the, some of the Black Lives Matter protests that have been going on, um, 
people talking about defunding police or reallocating funding from police to other things that would support police better. And they just said, what, where did policing come from? And so it's going to support a whole bunch of people's personal curiosity. So the agency they have is to say, not only am I allowed to study a thing that I'm interested in, that isn't actually anywhere in the BC curriculum at all. It's not in any grade at any level in any course, but then also um, it's important to me. So I would like to study it. And then also I would like to ask for help studying it the way I would like to. And they would like to study it by having a conversation with other people, have a teacher help them a little bit with some of the historical roots of that particular topic, facilitate a discussion so that it isn't just like a free for all. And um, that's what we'll do. So. They have a lot of agency in that regard. And it's great, it's really fun. I, I love nothing more than someone coming up to me saying, I have an idea for a session. And I'm just like, yes, because they're always good. And I like to see people realizing that they have that voice. And so um, what I'm hearing in that is this connection to what we talked about last time, that intrinsic motivation to learn, right? And so, this you know when you when you allow learners to, to have greater agency and to make those requests you know i want to have a session on how did we end up with police i want to have a session on this i want to have a session on that um what are the meaningful markers that you notice that shows you that their learning is actually taking a taking root in a better deeper different way i think for me it's when uh, and it's an old tool and it's not perfect but when i think about um things like Bloom's taxonomy and you look at the depth, the depth of learning, uh, you know, moving away from just repeating back something that like I gave you a bunch of names and dates and whatever, and then you repeated them back to me. Great means you're listening maybe, or you read it on your own or whatever. That's fine. Um, what I like and what I'm noticing in this system is that people go far deeper. So there's much more synthesis. There's much more evaluation. There's much more invention. So people will say things like, well, if that was the purpose of policing, for example, um, I think a police force that was effective would look like this and they'll invent something and it'll be brand new. And it's like, wow, you don't see that in the, in the kind of school where you're saying, here's the information I want you to take away. And then at some point, I'm going to ask you to give that back to me to show me that you got it. These guys are saying, give me information so I can go further down the road with it. Um, that's why I wanted the information in the first place. So the intrinsic motivation, but also I'm going to do something with that information. I'm not just going to give it back to you again. Um, and you know, I always joke around with kids. Like, I don't want you to just give me back the same information I just gave you. I already have it. Like that would, <laughs> it wouldn't be very fulfilling for me. I'd be bored. So, um, they, you know, they'll take it a lot further. It will be, it will be something brand new and it'll be something unique to that person or those people. And um, so it's like a feedback loop almost, right? A, a feedback loop of driven by curiosity. That's exactly right. And, and the feedback includes more than just um, feeding something back that they were fed. It's, uh, it's um, they added to it. So it's like value added, you know, like they took something very basic. They added to it and made something much more complex and deeper. So the learning is really evident because the artifacts of, of the learning show evidence of, you know, synthesis, evaluation, um, imagination, uh, taking it further, adding some of their own thinking, or even pulling ideas together and take, you know, making a whole new, you know, composite idea out of two ideas that never went together before. So I can see the academic value for sure. Um, I'm thinking of your counseling background and how 
how this concept of agency also must be uh, expressing itself in, in a child's feeling of worth and feeling of efficacy. So talk to me about the, the psychological benefits of putting them in this driver's seat and giving them agency. How long have we got? Okay, so. Yeah, right, right. I got all night. <laughs> Great, good thing. Um, so there's a few things about that. Um, one of them is um, when I work with, uh, with kids, with learners who have anxiety and sometimes, you know, clinical anxiety disorders, that's what I'm talking about here. Um, one thing that we've found as a, as a theme that seems to show up again and again is this, uh, uh, it's not necessarily the cause of the anxiety, but it can be a trigger for a, a feeling of anxiety, which is this disconnect between a curriculum that they're being told they have to do at school um, or e and even the way they do it sometimes that doesn't sort of match up with what they're seeing as the world needing or them needing to be a part of the world right now. So for example, they're like, why do we care about th this subject, you know, subject X and this particular topic in it when there's global warming? and we're not doing anything about it. So there's anxiety in that, and I totally understand why, because it really is kind of a weird thing to be sometimes doing things that don't seem to have any connection to that. Um, mm -hmm. Sometimes they do, and you have to show them how the, they're connected, but sometimes they don't. Um, so that, right away, that helps. Um, that agency saying, this is important to me right now for a reason, I can actually do that at school. Oh, I feel better. Like I'm actually able to spend time six hours a day in a place rather than saying when the six hours is over, I'm going to go and do something relevant to the world and to my life. It's like, I can do that all the time. So we watch the anxiety level go down. And, and I know, um, you know, there's a, there are a couple of um, psychologists in town here who we are a treatment on their list. They, they, we are a, a thing that you like a box to check to say, you could do these kinds of therapies or you could go to sigh <laughs> it's like because we do re help reduce anxiety for a lot of people um and that's one so that's one positive thing about that agency another one in general this is a more kind of generalizable thing for all humans is that um and this is this is actually an area of study for me um a long time ago which is locus of control or perceived yeah. locus of control and so i always like to talk about it because like there's a thesis in a hard bound book somewhere on a shelf that no one is reading. So when he gets a talk, I was like, yes. Um, That's your thesis from when you did your master's. Yeah. yeah, cure for insomnia. So, but um, if, <laughs> but the topic is actually really interesting. So the idea that um, the, my, the study I did was about violent behavior and its relationship to um, uh, look to perceive locus of control being locus of control being to what degree do you think you are, uh, responsible or able to affect outcomes in your life. And um, what, what we found was that people who had uh, a higher level of internality or they thought they, they personally could, could have more of an effect uh, on their own uh, life outcomes tended to be people who were less violent, uh, generally speaking, over a long, and I studied a large group of people over uh, several years. Um, and so um, it's, and it was a pretty significant finding actually had a strong effect. And then the opposite was true for people who um, had uh, more externality, particularly the two externalities were that chance and fate is sort of what's causing everything in your life. There's nothing you can do about it or um, powerful other people, sort of mysterious inner sanctum kind of people running the world. Um, 
those those two um, orientations in, in perceived locus of control also tended to be to be involved in more violent behavior, including things like vandalism, interpersonal violence, um, quite a bit more often and more with more severity over time than um, than people had internality. So that comes out of a, a thing called the frustration aggression hypothesis, which is people get frustrated when they don't have any control or they don't think they do, so they don't know what to do. So they just get mad. They just, they have overt aggression. Um, so it's a really good indicator when you see no overt aggression in a school full of teenagers, you mm. kind of think, okay, something is definitely working here. Um, so this is almost me kind of like trying out my, the findings from my thesis to say, what if we created a place where we could eliminate some of the reasons for that frustration and also actively help people develop a sense of uh, more internal, like a more of an internal control perception. Um, and it's real. It's not just a perception. They really do have it. They get to try it out and they can see it. Um, there's a, there's a, a balance there because it's also a lot more work. Uh, but um, the trade-off is a good one. And you see people relaxing, you see aggressive tendencies disappear, microaggressions disappear, um, uh, ability, uh, a willingness to take risk starts to appear. And we all know that if you don't take risks, it's hard to learn things. Um, so it's it pays off big time. Well, a couple of thoughts on that. Um, the first thing that, well, I'll wait, I'll loop back to the first thing, but the second thing that arose while you were talking about that connection between an internal locus of control and a decrease in aggression or a decrease in acting out is from when I think back to my days teaching, um, I noticed that in those classrooms where there were um, teachers who were sort of wishy-washy in their expectations or who had low expectations, that's often where you would find the children who were acting out. Um, you would also find children acting out in over-controlling classrooms, but you know, by the time I was teaching that that, that wasn't really an active thing. Um, I think some teachers definitely have, you know, modes of controlling, but most of the time, you know, in the last 20 years, it hasn't been like overt physical control. Um, but yeah, like the, children want to have, um, they want to feel like they can affect some sort of change in their environment. They, the, what they do can have some sort of impact on how things go down. And so if they're in a, if they're in a classroom where can, expectations are inconsistent, that doesn't actually help with that internal locus of control and getting them, you know, getting them centered in their own agency because you know, whatever they're doing might, might not actually work. So consistency, I think, is important. Um, and you mentioned, or I don't know if you did mention, but that trust aspect, right? Like just holding space for people to realize that they can, they can go ahead and make some choices. And, you know, if I push a little bit here, then this thing moves. And if I push over here, then this thing moves, right? They can kind of start to see how their own actions will affect the outcomes. So that was one thing I noticed. Um, but the second thing was back to what you were talking about, that, um, that mental health piece, you know, how, how increasing agency increases uh, a sense of um, self-management, right? And decreases that sense of anxiety. And what, what you see in your school is the same thing that we see in the adult working world. People who do not have choice in their jobs, 
um, are frustrated. People who have choice and agency and who can make decisions often come away from their workday feeling good. Like I did some good work today. My work had purpose and it, you know, it moved the bus a little farther down the track. So we see that, you know, we know this from the adult working world and yet, you know, education still sort of labors under this <laughs> paradigm where we remove control and we just tell people what to do. I know. And, and it's, it's, it's remarkable the degree to which we do that traditionally in education. Um, one of our learners who's new this year, just today, she, we were having a meeting and she apologized because she was eating, she was, she was eating something when I came to, like we had a meeting time set up. I came to find her and right now in pandemic land, everyone's kind of not completely, but more nailed to a spot than usual. But um, anyway, I went to, went to find her and she was apologizing for eating. I said, why is it a bad sandwich? And she said, no, it's, it's really good. I was like, oh, oh, and then, so then she said, oh no, just cause I, I you know, I, I'm eating and it's, you know, it's not, it's not lunchtime. I said, well, if you're eating, it's probably lunchtime. <laughs> and so, so that's usually the first clue, but she just said, it's so strange to be in a school where you can eat when you're hungry. You can get up and go to the bathroom. You have to go to the bathroom. Um, you're not asking permission for those things. You just do them because um, she's not used to that. She's never experienced that in like nine years. So, uh, and I keep thinking, what a tragedy. Like we have a group of people who will, um, you know, on the one hand, will say, you know, we'll tell you when you can go to the bathroom, when you can eat and what, you know, when you can go down the hall and da, 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 da. Um, let alone anybody who needs anything like I need to get out of a room full of people for a minute because I'm having an anxiety and like, no, you can't leave. Like that still happens in schools all over the place. Um, and then on the other hand, you'll say, why don't young people know how to do anything? Um, how on earth are they going to make their way in the world when they don't even know how to, you know, make a decision? It's like, why would they know how to make a decision? We never let them make a single decision ever. That's and then all of a sudden right. graduation, go make decisions now. Good luck. And that's that and that was one of the points that you had made, you know, related to this conviction that um, the best learning requires learner agency. You know, we 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 do kind of encapsulate children in this K to 12 system where they're given very specific instructions about what to accomplish, what to achieve, what achievement looks like. And then bing, off you go into the real world and they are paralyzed. Yeah. Because it doesn't work that way. The bells don't. The bells aren't ringing. I, I, there was a. I responded to a tweet the other day about bells ringing. Somebody saying, you know, anybody have any opinions about bells in the schools? And I was like, oh yeah, bells. I haven't seen those for years. And I was like, I forgot about that. It's horrible. Um, because the world doesn't work that way. And if you're waiting around for a bell when you're like 20, you're not going to hear one. So you, yeah. you better get cracking. You know, you better have another plan that's going to motivate you to do something. Because you know, there's not going to be a bell ringing. Um, well, I think then, yeah. Yeah, the sad truth is in some workplaces, there's so many meetings that that, that bell does still persist. But I know what you mean. It's like when you're in your workflow, yes. you might have a deadline. Um, but that's your deadline, right? You, you know, nobody, chances are nobody's chasing you and checking up on you. You have to complete by your deadline. You have to get your work done, you know, in whatever way actually works for you or that's where we see the people who are in the greatest harmony is when they can do their work in the way that's that's best for them rather than having every little piece of it laid out for them but yeah that uh, the bells the schedules the the marks right the the 80s the 90s percents all of those are ways of removing true agency from our young people when we're we're trying to prepare them for a world where 
you really need to uh, be centered within yourself and able to make the choices that will produce the best outcome externally as well as inside yourself. Yeah, that's, that's so true. And it's not to say people aren't going to have schedules and they're not going to have deadlines and all that. But um, I think our job in school is should be helping to scaffold people into those skills and te teach it all as a skill rather than um, uh, an external body controlling you. <clears throat> it's, it's, I mean, yes, people need to learn how to exercise their agency and they may do a terrible job of it. And our job is, I think, to help them um, pick them up and dust them off when, when it doesn't go very well, but also try not try to prevent that in the first place by, by preparing people to enjoy the agency that they can have. Talk about that. You said the word scaffolding. Um, I'm going to read a little bit of your thinking here that you've written down. And I wanted to ask you for, for a, a bit more on this. Just giving freedom is not enough. Learning how to manage one's agency requires scaffolding by a school personalized support for experimenting with agency and support that is gradually reduced as the learner gets better at managing agency. This may require some engineered opportunities for risk taking that help young people see what agency means in the fullest sense. So when you say scaffolding, what are you talking about? Well, um, for example, I can give you an example from this morning. So um, one, one of the, one of the girls at the school today, she wants to, um, interview an expert on post-traumatic stress disorder, someone who, who, a therapist who helps people who are experiencing that and, and um, working their way through it. So she's, she said, I'd, I'd like to interview her. And so the scaffolding involved, um, how are you going to contact this person? Um, and she was terrified of that. She, so she right. has the freedom to do it. She has no, she has all the time in the world. She has a phone. Um, it's good. She has a computer. She can email all these things. And she said, I just don't really actually know what the proper way is to contact someone like that. It's like, okay, let's start with something that's really not invasive that, that doesn't, isn't time sensitive. You phone them, who knows what they're doing. So why not an email? You know, let's see if they have an email address. So, um, start with that. And then she's like, what do I put in the email? And she's like, I don't want to sound, <laughs> she said, I don't want to sound like I'm, um, sending an invitation to someone to come to a dance in the 1700s. But she said, I also don't want to be, to look like I don't know how to write a sentence. And I was like, okay, let's find the happy medium. So I helped her develop a little email, sort of letter of introduction kind of email thing, fairly simple, but not that simple actually um, saying this is probably the right level of formality. Um, we kind of talked about it together. Um, I said, how would you feel if you received this? And she's like, oh yeah, I think it's pretty good. It's like, great. Um, you know, even, you know, when do I ask a question and when do I make a statement? You know, I don't want to be too, you know, I don't, I don't want to impose on people. So all that stuff. And then um, she sent it and she got a reply in like 15 minutes. <laughs> so it was really good. Uh, so it, it worked. Um, but, you know, she felt that that would have been, she may never have actually followed through with that, even though she had all the freedom in the world to do it, because the scaffolding was required just for a very simple little, how do I communicate with somebody step, which is not that simple. Yeah, and in that case, you were you were really doing some modeling, weren't you? You were you were um, providing that you know, providing that uh, space for that first step to happen. Like we're going to write an email, but then also, yeah, like building that twenty first century skill of um, taking the first step or or reaching out. And I know at Sci, that's a big component of the education, especially as your learners get older. You want them to be able to 
have the confidence to reach out to somebody in the community who can help answer a question or who can do an interview or who has stumbled on the stumbling block that this learner is currently stumbling on and can advise. But all of those things, yeah, it can be terrifying for children to reach out to adults who chronically don't have time for kids and chronically brush them off. So I see what you mean by the scaffolding. Yeah, it's really, it's really, really important. And you're right. If you don't, if you don't help people, like I kind of find it bizarre when you think if you're not helping people do those things in school, what are we doing in school? Um, so the scaffolding. And working. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. And then they'll just figure all that other stuff out magically by themselves. Um, the soft skills, but um, anyway, so we just noticed that our grads can strike up a conversation with like a prof at university, no problem. They can contact an expert in something. They can propose things to people. They can do a pitch um, because we've helped them do it. Um, the agency is still theirs in that we didn't say, now everyone will do a pitch lesson and we'll mark your pitches. It's like, you want to know how to do a pitch? Okay, let's show you how to do a pitch. Or you want to talk to somebody about a business idea? You're going to have to know how to pitch. And they're like, what does that mean? So that scaffolding, just helping them with the language, the format, that sort of thing. Yeah, and it it really does um, it really does empower them. Um, that's a bit of a tired term, but I actually like it because it it is a good uh, um, evocative word. I mean, I have had I think two or three learners from Psy reach out to me yeah. um, because I'm an author and because I'm a writer. Yeah. and you know, you have not interfaced these interactions. You have not, you know, introduced me to people and guided them to me. You, you and your teachers have given these children the tools to know how to approach a stranger, how to approach an adult who maybe has some, some insights for them. Um, and I think you find that, you know, we find that everywhere in the adolescent population, but it, it is it is often not taught by the school. That, that kind of confidence and courage often will come temperamentally or will come from a certain way of being raised in a family, but it, it isn't actually taught and modeled uh, adequately enough. There's pockets for sure all throughout the education system, but there are also pockets where, where that isn't happening. Yeah. And I think it's the feeling that we have to have everything planned before, before the learners arrive. Like this is my lesson plan, my unit plan, my course overview. And so you might have a lesson in there about, how to do a pitch or how to conduct a behavioral job interview or whatever, but you've planned that. And all the people who are in your class are going to be subject to that lesson, whether they like it or not. Um, and if you're not in that person's class, you don't get it. So for us, it's more like, what do you need? What do you, what do you think you need? Cause even deciding what you think you need mm -hmm. is very important. It's not, we think you need this. It's you think you need this. And then we help you figure out what it is. I know what you mean about the word empower. Like I do like the word. The reason I don't use it and it's a pretty picky thing is that I want people to kind of realize they've already got the power. Um, I'm not giving them any. Um, it's there. I'm just revealing it. It's just like removing the, you know, the the blanket over top of it. Like, look, <laughs> look what you already had. <laughs> you know, like it's, uh, it's, it's, I don't know. It's like just uncovering it kind of. I love that. I love that metaphor. Um, that made me smile and go closer to my camera because I, I want to tie that into what I notice in the adult world. Um, you know, a lot of people feel like they don't have a sense of agency. Um, and that power that we're all born with, 
um, the power to stand up for ourselves, the power to ask for what we want, the power to try stuff out and see how it goes, the power to follow our interests. That does get covered up. You know, I almost see it like big dry leaves or something. Just stuff covers that up, covers that up. It's messaging we get as children. It's the system that we go through as in education. Sorry, siren going by. Um, <laughs> you know, I've none of us are lacking that power or that light or that uh, energy, but it does get covered up. And so eventually you, you run into adults who are so dead inside, you know, they've completely lost touch with their own ability to, yeah, actually this is your life. And you actually, you're the one who can, everything you do is a result of your choice. You know, like that is mind boggling. Like that takes years and years and years for people to really get their heads around that. Hence the power of the mindfulness movement. It's all about that. It's yeah. all about like, here you are. This is the moment that you have. It's really the only thing you have and your brain as a way of interpreting the world. And you know, what are you going to bring forward? But it takes a while to uncover that power again. It's so true. And sometimes people can't. If you look at someone like um, Eric Erickson, uh, the psychosocial stages of life, the person who coined the term midlife crisis, um, talks about crises that you go through in your life and it, you end up with a this or that, and then you move to the next stage and it's this or that. And, you know, Erickson says basically there, you can only go so far down the, the that road and you can't get back to the this road <laughs> after enough of those um, benchmarks have been passed. So he's saying in adolescence, you need to be in childhood and adolescence, you need to be given an opportunity to try things and take risks and be helped to do that as opposed to the opposite. Uh, or you will not, like you will not be able to do that. And, and the midlife crisis is where you look back and say, I have regret because I did not, I did not let the light shine. I didn't do the things that I should have done, could have done, wanted to do. I did something else instead. That is midlife crisis. And that's where people do crazy stuff because they try to make up for all the years that they didn't do things they wanted to do. Um, but we know that very well. And the, the, that, that, um, that theory of Erickson's is, is, has been very well revealed to be, you know, to be truthful. Um, we've known it for like 40 years and we still have an education system, which most people go through that does not do that very, at least consistently. Yeah. Yeah. That's a gap that needs addressing. I mean, one of the, one of the silver linings of the pandemic <clears throat> is that it, it has kind of uh, thrust a midlife crisis onto a number of us. I mean, you and I are Gen X. Um, yep. And I actually think, I, I don't know, what do I know? My theory is that Gen X really feels this because we are at that place where we're entering into or exiting out of midlife crises. And so it, it's, you know, the pandemic has kind of given the same kind of energy. It's like here, Here's a brick wall to slam your head into. Now, as you're recovering on the ground, are you examining what you've chosen to be doing for the last 15, 20, 25 years? Yeah. Has that been very central to your actual purpose? You know, so it, it's been a reckoning, I think, for, um, for a lot of people our age and thereabouts. Um, I think younger people are just accepting this as part of the way the world works. 
yeah. older people. I'm not sure what the headspace is there, but I know for sure uh, Gen X is like, whoa, what have I been waking up to do every morning? Do I really, is this totally like um, in line with what I think I'm here to do? Does it feel good? Do I want to get out of bed in the morning? So it's, so it's true. been a gift. Yeah, in that yeah. sort of Ericksonian sense. It's true. Yeah. It's like, yeah, when this pandemic's over, I'm gonna, you know, mm, because people have had the chance to think about, about it, but uh, yeah, it's, it's true. That's really true. I never thought about that. That's pretty Yeah, true. I think, I, I, I do think there's a, there's a real, um, the lid is being pulled off, um, allowing more people to examine the possibility of like deep personal growth um, yeah. and, and trying to find ways to step toward, if not into agency to to sort of make the make the rest of life more meaningful you know like i i love i know you're a twitter user i'm a twitter user um i've you know i saw a tweet um last week i think about philanthropy and like some philanthropists are yes giving back however all that money has been made in products that are not helpful to human wellness, right? They're deleterious to human wellness. So just having people take two steps back and go, you know, looking at the whole scene and going, wait, we, I think we're, you know, I think we can do better. I'm yeah. excited about that. Yeah, I know it's good. It's nice to see. It's really been good. And you're right. I think young people, uh, they're pretty resilient. This is just a thing that's happening to them. It's going to be something really cool to talk about in a few years. Um, you know, remember the pandemic of 2020? I mean, it's going to be great. Um, yeah. That's, that's, if, that's if their adults aren't running around panicking. If their yeah. adults are running around panicking, then, then you know, we're going to see that anxiety bump, right? Because those adults don't feel like they've got a sense of agency. So yeah, they, all need to, they all need to come to sigh. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. It's funny when we do show people sign, we do information sessions and show parents around and teachers around, they all say, I wish this had been around when I went to high school. Everybody says that, like everybody. And it's, it's so funny. And because I, and I say, yeah, me too. That's why I started the school <laughs> because it, that's why, because it, it, it really would have been nice. <laughs> so, let me, okay. That's cool. I want to ask you just before we close out for this session, I want to ask yep. you if you had attended a school like Sai. Uh, and I know you didn't, you felt fairly invisible during your high school experience. Yeah, I didn't sure. feel invisible, but I felt definitely uh, very structured. If you had gone to a school like Psy, um, what would be different today, do you think? Oh, wow, that's such a, that's a tricky question. I don't know. Um, I mean, I would, I think probably I would have done some things like I probably wouldn't have, I would probably wouldn't have had to start a side, but I would have done some things like leaving my very kind of well-worn path job in education earlier. I think I would have been, I would have had the wherewithal and maybe the confidence to make some decisions about that a little bit earlier. Um, and I probably would just be a little bit more uh, socially comfortable. Uh, it took me a long time to, uh, mm -hmm kind of get over my own self-consciousness in public in well in public just around people and um i'm now at a place where i am but it took me a very 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 long time yeah as an adult reteaching yeah. yourself right yeah, reteaching myself yeah and i'm having conversations with like kids now are in grade nine and 
it's things that I've just told myself last week, you know, and, uh, or found out about, or, you know, and they're like, oh, great, I got that figured out. And you're like, oh man, you're like 40 years ahead of me. That's pretty impressive. So, That's incredible. Well, and uh, you, I mean, obviously your self-teaching has gone over well because you're one of the most, you know, you, you have a way of um, presenting yourself comfortably, but also you make space for people to feel comfortable. So You've mastered that one. Took you a few years, I guess, hey? Well, I always made space for other people. I just didn't make a lot of space for myself. But, for you. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what would be different for me. I think um, I would have definitely had the courage to travel uh, or to take a gap year, you know, after grade 12. Oh, yeah. Um, yep. That wasn't presented <laughs> to me as an option um, by my from my from my family, but I would have... I think that would have really been a game changer for me. Um, I don't know. I, I suspect I might have still ended up writing because I loved writing. Um, but you know what? I probably wouldn't have ended up in teaching mm-hmm. um, because I went and did my education degree. Okay, here's a tiny story. This actually tracks very well to agency. I did an education degree because when I got to the end of my psychology degree, I really wanted to do a master's in psych. I wanted to do neuro or uh, less so counseling, but I really wanted to pursue psychology. And I didn't because I was too shy and afraid of approaching professors for a recommendation. And so because education didn't require any such um, relationship building, I thought, well, that's a, that's comfortable. I've worked with children all my life. I'll go and be a teacher. So yeah, I think because I didn't have that sense of worth and I didn't have that, nobody had shown me how to write an email or knock on a prof's door and just have an easy conversation. So these are really valuable skills to be teaching your learners now. I think so. I, I Again, we like the results when we experience them daily um you see the growth you see the change um when we see them after they graduate now that we've been around for a few years they talk about they talk about some of the things they did here and how it's helped them when they leave i just had a zoom conference with somebody yesterday who's in manila who's uh lives there and started a um started a new social media platform that was something they began to think about when they were here in grade 12 and they've fully developed it and they're, they're doing venture capital rounds right now. And uh, they're going to be doing a bit of a crowdfunding thing. They're just about done. They've done all the crowdfunding, they've raised millions of dollars and they're um, launching it very soon, probably in the spring. So, um, and that they talked specifically about the agency that they had here to be able to pursue something like that, that was not something that would ever be on the curriculum. You don't see, you know, grade 12 computer science, you will start a new social media platform that helps consider things like psychological well-being and body image stereotypes that's not an outcome in the curriculum but that's what he's doing fantastic yeah it's great okay, that's a nice nice story to wrap this up with do you want to uh anything on agency that you want to add or do you feel like we get we painted the picture well i think we got it <laughs> things seem pretty good eh? what do you think oh, i love it and, and we're going to record uh back to back today so we're going to finish this episode and the keen people out there can just hit, well, they can just wait for YouTube to autoplay the next auto. The little thing will go around and away we'll be. Well, there will be. Yeah. All right, Jeff, we'll see okay. you for the next session. Thank you. See you later. Thanks.